Welcome to another episode of Drivers, Sports and Leisure Research Group's podcast devoted to bringing you the latest trends in the golf industry and the innovators leading them. I'm David Klein, along with John Last. And before we bring on today's guests, John, I just wanted to mention that this episode comes right on the heels of the big golf trade shows. And one thing was definitely clear. Industry leaders are really hoping to channel the positivity that we saw at the show's into what would potentially be a third straight post-pandemic year of operating success. John, I know you know that we've uh, released our latest insights from both the consumer and facility ownership perspective. And despite some economic uncertainties, I gotta say, things look pretty good. And I know that at several of these recent conferences, both you and our guest today have presented the perspective of multi-facility owners at a variety of these events. So, John, who do we have joining us on the first tee today? So so our guest today is is not only one of the most innovative golf facility owners that I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the years, but but he shares a very, very significant accomplishment with me, um, which actually goes back to the first time we met. Um, This is a gentleman who who had the distinction of sitting next to me uh, as a fellow uh, person who made the final table of a poker tournament that actually took place at one of the Golf 2020 conferences years ago. Um, he's been a frequent user of our insights, and, and he hasn't let me forget that the person who knocked me out of that poker tournament was none other than the uh, legendary Golf Hall of Famer, Char- the late Charles Sifford. Um, Del Ratcliffe, it is great to have you here. Uh, Del runs Ratcliffe Golf Services. I'm so glad that you're here on Drivers to reflect on a real storied career uh, of your own in the golf industry. And, and maybe to kind of get us started, tell our audience a little bit about your journey as a facility owner and, and what are some of the things you're seeing right now as the most critical issues in, in golf facility management? Well, John, first of all, thanks for having me on today. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you and uh, glad to be here with you and David both today. And, um, you know, it's always fun to talk about uh, the golf business. You and I do have kind of a a long long history and it goes all the way back really to my childhood. I was born and raised on a golf course. Uh, My background really kind of started on the turf side of the business. We had a family property. It was a little nine-hole public golf course with a nine-par three and my earliest memories are working on the outside of that golf course. I used to cut goose grass out of the greens when I was, I mean, I was so little, I, I was not much taller than the five gallon bucket that we would put the goose grass in. We cut it out. I, I remember being really mad because everybody, they always gave me a butter knife. I didn't get a sharp knife. I wasn't old enough to have a sharp knife. So I had to use a butter knife to cut the, uh, the goose grass out. So <laughs> my, my roots in golf go way back. Uh, you know, through the course of my career, I was fortunate enough and am fortunate enough to uh, have been, you know, golf course superintendent. Um, I'm a PGA member and, uh, you know, have gone through all the different facets of uh, managing golf facilities from, again, the agronomy side of the business up through the, uh, you know, the, the, the management of daily fee golf courses. And I like to say we've got experience in everything from a miniature golf course up to uh, 36-hole public facilities that are semi-private operations and even fully private operations now. So um, I'm very fortunate in that I've met a lot of great people in the business and, and had a lot of good experiences, both both in the good times and the bad times. You know, anybody that's been in the business as long as have, you've seen your share of both. Um, and so uh, it's it's a really fortunate thing that we're kind of sitting where we're sitting right now on the kind of the wave of what the, the uh, pandemic brought to golf, uh, you know, and I think that anyone that is, um, uh, you know, new to the business of golf, 
uh, lacks a little bit of the perspective of what we kind of kindly refer to as the lean years, you know, because we've certainly had some years in the past when uh, various factors have affected golf. <clears throat> you know, the golf 2020 conferences that we attended that you mentioned there, you know, they were started really solely to address the um, the lack of participation in golf or what we kind of saw as a potentially declining interest or lack of interest in golf. We were trying to come up with ways that we could stimulate more people playing golf and actually grow our customer base. And lo and behold, none of us really realized that what we needed was a worldwide pandemic, uh, you know, to, to bring prosperity to golf, you know, across the whole country. And uh, I don't think that if you had given me a magic wand and told me I could wave it, I could wave it and, and, and declare anything that I wanted, I never would have dreamed of hitting on what actually ended up has had such a positive effect on golf. Now, um, one other thing before we get into some of our comments here too, I just want to mention, you know, uh, having attended the uh, the golf business conference and the PGA merchandise show in Orlando, we're fresh getting back on that. You know, I think that your insights that you do, John, and you know, I'm a big proponent of the research that you do and the presentations that you do. It's, it's so um, you articulate very well, the exact things that I think are really the identifying factors in golf right now. You know, we're in a very unusual circumstance where we do have three years of, I mean, spectacular and, and unprecedented growth uh, in, in golf. Um, yet we're also at the same time facing what a lot of us consider to be some pretty, you know, significant headwinds to that continuing. Um, but at the same time, you know, we can't point to anything that's really positive and saying, hey, things are not going to continue. We certainly have challenges and we certainly going to have pressures on us to continue the growth that we've seen or maybe even, you know, some moderation of that growth. But uh, it's a good time to be in golf. No, it's, it, it certainly is, uh, you know, having seen both the, the highs and the lows over, over the last several years now. You've got a great vantage point with the golf courses that you run and manage to 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 kind of take a lot of what we look at from a macro level and, and see how it actually gets applied. Um, I, I'm particularly intrigued, you know, as we've talked about uh, at a number of conferences over the years, you've kind of developed, I think, a pretty unique strategy from a customer service and loyalty and revenue enhancement strategy at, at your properties. Tell us a little bit about how you define and differentiate those facilities in this way. Um, particularly, you know, with, with all of these automated solutions that, that are, in the one hand, kind of making things a little bit easier from a, a back office standpoint, but yet there's also this battle between high tech and high touch. How do you, how do you kind of bridge that gap and, and what are some of the things that you've deployed at your properties? Well, you know, I think you you hit the nail on the head with that. The the balance between high tech and high touch is something that I think we're always going to see, particularly as we move more and more into a technology-based world. Um, and it certainly can be done. Golf has traditionally, as you know, you know, we we we're we're we have long been a predominantly mom and pop oriented business, particularly on the daily fee side. You know, there's a lot of smaller individual operators that are still out there, a lot of privately owned golf courses and um you know, those are, are generally, it's hard for those type businesses to adopt the latest and greatest in the technology and still maintain that 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 real one-to-one -one aspect of how you interrelate with your, your golfers that visit your facility. But that interaction, that experience that they have is really what we, we really have to focus on. You know, that's one of the things we, we make a mistake, I think, in sometimes thinking that technology can be our answer to everything. Um, when people spend money, it really boils down to a very simple value equation. And that equation is, did I get a value that's worth more than what I paid? Um, and that often supersedes whatever that price is. You know, the, the cheapest person among us is willing to pay $500 for something that's worth $1,000. Um, but even the, the most wealthiest person doesn't want to pay 
$5 for something that's worth only 50 cents, you know? So uh, that value equation is what you have to really focus on. And in golf, we truly are an experience-based business. You know, the experience that people have with us is what the true determinant of what that value is. Uh, and that experience is comprised of a lot of different things. It's not just how well the golf course is conditioned, although that's a really big part of it, but it's also what kind of experience did they have while playing with the golf, uh, playing with the golfers they were with? What kind of experience did they have in relating to our staff and the interactions they had with our staff? Um, there's a very famous expression that, I, you know, that has been around for a long time in business. You not only have to uh, talk the talk, you have to walk the talk as well. You know, so if you're really focused on providing a good customer experience, you have to follow through with that in every facet of how a golfer interacts with your facility, from uh, how they go about booking a tee time with you to how they are treated when they first show up at the counter, and then how the golf course treats them once they're out on the golf course as well. Dale, I got to tell you that I am amazed when we talk to clients about things like pricing and value, we are constantly saying you focus on price when your focus should be on value. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. In fact, in our golf business pulse report for the NGCOA, we actually found that 95% of golf facilities actually raised their rates last year. Given the kind of price value tug of war, how sustainable is this in the current environment and how are you addressing it? Well, I think that we're we're in a period right now that is unprecedented in the years that I've been in golf. And I've been in the golf business for well over 30 years now. You know, um, our a lot of our golf market uh, out there is very price conscious. They're very price sensitive. And we have a, a large amount of seniors that are involved that are, uh, for the most part, a lot of them are on fixed income. So they're very sensitive to price fluctuations, particularly on the upside. But at the same time, um, the general population has been inundated. You know, we talk about inflation, inflation rates of, you know, 8%, 9%, something like that. You know, there's a lot of things where we're seeing that blown way out of the water. I, I stopped the other day with my wife. We, we pulled into uh, Taco Bell. And, um, you know, I remember it's been a long, long time since I was at Taco Bell. But I remember years where, you know, you couldn't eat $5 worth of food from a Taco Bell. And we both pulled in. We got one uh, combo a piece that included the drink and the, you know, what the, the the taco or whatever it was with us. And our bill was over twenty bucks at a Taco Bell, you know. Uh, and so there is a uh, there is a little bit more resilience to price increases out there and acceptance of price increases than we've had in the past. Um, but it still always, always, always comes back to that price versus value. You know, as long as somebody feels that they're getting a great experience, they will continue to pay for whatever that experience is. Um, and it, a lot of times they may complain about it. They might complain about the price increases. They might say, wow, it's really expensive now compared to what it used to be. But as long as they've had a good experience and they want to return and they want to have that same experience again, they're going to come back. And so that's one of the things that we have to always be careful of. Now, we have another thing that's been really good and that's been good for us is we've seen an adoption. And, and John and I have actually done presentations and talked about this. We've seen a widespread adoption of dynamic pricing in golf. Um, you know, and, and really demand-based pricing is something that our, it's very well suited towards our business, but traditionally we have not been uh, active adopters of the technology that it takes to really implement a, a true dynamic pricing strategy. But if you do that, it is certainly beneficial to not only your course, but to the golfers that play at your golf course as well. You know, it gives them the flexibility for price-conscious golfers to try to shop for the best deal 
But then at the same time, if someone is time conscious and you've got somebody who says, you know, I want to play at 9 a.m. on Saturday, I've got to finish. I've got to be back in, in time to, to go out to dinner with the wife and kids. And uh, I don't care what it costs. You know, you've got the option for you to maximize the value for those times as well. Yeah, you know, you've hit on something that that's, that's really, in my mind, a unique confluence of factors that have that have helped driven this surge in participation that we see now. And that is, you know, we always talked about value, price, and time, or or money and time as being the key inhibitors of why people don't play more golf. Well, you have a pandemic that you know kind of reconditioned how people spend their time in or outside of offices. That gives us more flexibility in terms of time, and and obviously what what we've seen through yield management has helped address some of the pricing issues as well. That that could be the answer to the, the final question I want to ask you as we get towards the end of our time here today. But, you know, we've both had a really good view of industry programs and efforts that I think have done a really good job of making the game much more accessible over recent years. Um, so there are a lot of factors that we can attribute to that increase. What, what do you see? I mean, what does the industry need to be thinking about now to make sure that we don't make the same mistakes that that kind of nipped us in the bud after the previous Tiger media-driven uh, short-lived golf boom. What's what's different this time? Well, I'll tell you, one of the big differences this time is in, in, in previous efforts, John, and, you know, we worked on this a lot, Golf 2020, and a lot of the programs that came out of that, the link up to golf, the get golf ready, all of the, the learn-to-play programs, all those were kind of based on the fact that we know through research, and you've been a part of this research, you know, people need to play golf a certain amount of, of number of times uh, for it to kind of become uh, a learned or, or, or an activity that they truly enjoy and are committed to. One of the things that COVID did, uh, it kind of helped us overcome that hurdle. They had nothing else they could do for a long time. You know, we've got a lot of people that came into golf during the pandemic that played golf and maybe they did have some of the same frustrations that they would have had earlier, but they, they continued and kind of powered on through that because they didn't have any choice. There wasn't anything else they could do. They couldn't go to a football game. They couldn't go to a movie theater. So they played golf. So I do think that we have a little more resilience in the, uh, the generation of golfers that we have created over the last few years. And a lot of these are millennials that we were having a tough time attracting uh, in our previous efforts. But the other side of it is too, you know, we still have to be aware of, what has really um, this has really shown us is that there is a there is an inherent need for social activities among humans. Okay, and one of the really important things that we're seeing at all of our facilities is a desire for the golf course to kind of be almost a social hub for a community. You know, so the more things that we can do to focus not just on being a place where people come and play golf, but to be a place where people can come and have a social experience. That's why I'm convinced we're seeing a, a huge upsurge in a focus on the range, for example. You, you spoke of this some in, in your presentation. You know, we're seeing uh, the range being recreated and reimagined in terms of uh, what it is at the average golf course. We're seeing the food and beverage operations take on an entirely new role. We're doing things that our food and beverage operations that five years ago, I would have told you, you were, you were insane to try, you know, because it just wouldn't work. Um, but we're seeing a, a an upsurge and, and not just an upsurge, we're seeing a very uh, large acceptance of our, our, our typical customer base that was really only interested in coming out, playing 18 holes and leaving uh, we're seeing them being willing to spend more time and make it more of a social destination uh, than we have in prior years. And I'm talking not just at the, the private, semi-private courses, but I'm talking about at daily fee courses as well. 
Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, so much of, of what we've talked about in our data and, and some of the other really innovative operators are, are showing those same types of tendencies. I, I kind of referenced it as like a democratization of golf and, you know, again, kind of creating an experience that transcends just the traditional definition of, of what the product was. You know, we we certainly have, have opined on this for quite a while and, and we'll continue to do so. It's, it's always fun and inspiring to talk shop with you, but we are at the, the the tail end of our limit here. We try to keep these fairly tight, but but Dell, thanks as always for sharing some of your perspectives with our listeners. And thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of Drivers. Absolutely. Thank you guys for the time. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.